0: Today, I am depressed. This is fairly normal and has nothing to do with fashion at all. I love clothes and I have a distinctive style that others copy and I think that's all you need to be a fashionista. If you disagree, too bad. I don't care. We crave labels, you know? We crave to be defined so that others can glom onto us, and we can be birds of a feather together. We seek validation from each other in this way. I don't really like labels. In fact, I abhor them because I don't quite fit into any label at all. I'm not a hipster, I do not love or disdain anything that is outdated, unfashionable, or anything, really. I don't hate things for being cool, either. All the people I've known that call themselves hipsters seem to be using it as an excuse to be elitist. This makes me sad. So many people want to scoff and snarl and frown and groan at the common folk. The common folk want to disdain anything extraordinary Claiming it's a rich bitch or a snooty ass hat that just walked by them. Why? Because of their clothes and, potentially, their mannerisms. Then there are the middle people who are bridging the gap between the commoners and the elite, trying to pull all the commoners up with them to a higher standard of living, identifying in part with both sides of the spectrum poverty and wealth. There are thousands of labels out there Principessa, foodie, Furry, Kinky, Dominant, Submissive, doc, Geek, Nerd, Pencil Neck bimbo barbie slash ken fashionista alpha male glutton faker emotionless vampire robot goofball jester class clown american european african asian russian even though they're asian actress slash actor gamer gamer girl straight edge lush posh workaholic fatty porn star pothead monolingual bilingual trilingual polylingual look mob we can count pedantic vapid shallow vain deep philosopher alcoholic scholarly cheerleader woo girl alpha female sex addict fornicator rapist pedophile drifter invalidator guardian knight in shining armor damsel in distress perfectionist handyman slash woman farmer white collar worker deviant follower conformist black sheep sheeple addict homeless jobless loser winner and so on As soon as one adopts one of these labels, a pigeonhole forms. Coo-coo. Do you like being stuffed in a fucking hole? I don't. I showed my gothic side off one day. I chopped my hair off into a more traditional pixie style, dyed it black, put on a bunch of leather and spikes and chains, red lipstick, and black jeans. I went to the grocery store, feeling on top of the world. No, wait. I felt crappy. I was sick and God did that to my hair, Making me cry because I liked it the way it was before he did that. He apologized after doing it and made me focus on looking into my own eyes and checking my health in the mirror. He bought me a choker with spikes on it, put it on me with a lipstick, playing a game with me the whole while about how we're going back to our roots. And then he took me to the fucking grocery store. It's the only place we go, truth be told. I'm still dragging my feet on a trip to Home Depot. Daddy wants a soft toilet seat. And I don't care. God laughs every time I say daddy like a spoiled brat valley girl with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm so not any of that. I'm sure you can tell from my vast array of artfully arranged words that I am not anything like a valley girl and I assure you I was born below poverty line. My clothes mostly come from Goodwill, actually, or the sales rack for last chance items. I'm more of an artiste. I'd probably be drawn to a coffee shop full of beatniks if that was a thing these days. I'd listen to their poetry and maybe even slam poetry, which is just angry poetry spoken with a voice that is resisting being conquered, a voice resisting soul murder, you should try it sometime, it's rejuvenating, sipping coffee, planning a painting or maybe writing my own poetry, slam or not. Letting the words wash over me and allowing someone else's perspective to be mine for just a little while and artfully so. Simon says hello. I hear you, soul sister and soul brother. I do not know your peril firsthand, but I hear you. I send you healing. It will never be enough. Keep slamming. Slam harder. I stand with you. I'm hashtag team. Human. Maybe I should encourage this at my own coffee shop someday. If I ever get well enough to have one, anyway. If it ever fits into the future God desires. It probably doesn't. Another pipe dream gone by. He loves me. He loves me not. I look like Barbie with 50 extra pounds and apparently I'm still way too intimidating to menfolk while I'm a blonde. Not when I'm a brunette, though. You'd think those 50 extra pounds would make me way more approachable. I'm not. I hear their internal monologue about me in the back of my mind. Vapid. Shallow. Vain. Why? Cause I'm shy and don't talk and make my voice known. I don't dispel the illusion, except to Dave, the nice older gentleman, a tad too old for me, but Foxy just the same, who spoke to me in front of the pizza and rotisserie chicken, asking me if he could help me. He thinks I'm a sweetheart for thanking him for his effort as I declined politely because I'm allergic to damn near everything. I didn't want to burden him with my laundry list of no-nos. It's not his problem. It's mine. I get hatred piled onto me every time I skinny up. Hundreds and hundreds of men who incidentally see me walk by them fornicate to my afterimage stuck in their head. I'm not the only one, I'm just the only one who can hear it audibly. We're all linked telepathically in the backs of our minds and receive these messages all the time from each other. It's why we hate ourselves, essentially. We listen to what other people say instead of having a healthy opinion of self. Be careful what you wish for. We try to control each other and limit the love we receive or increase it if we desire more. We never take what we are given and we are absolutely never happy despite happiness being a choice rather than the state of mind that simply happens. One of the reasons I have these 50 extra pounds is that I cannot eat a large variety of food, so I intermittently fast when I should not and end up binge eating too often when I finally do eat, caving into the fact that I can only really eat about 10 vegetables and little else at all. I happen to know how to get rid of it, but what will happen then? More people calling me awful names in my head, including bitch and whore just because I exist. I don't do anything to them and I don't even dress like a whore, yet they will call me these things in droves because they fornicate to my image without intending to. They don't talk to me at all. If they did, they might find out that I'm rather down to earth. I'm practical where it's important, only exercising impracticality on paper in my drawings. For example, I already have a perfect placeholder for a wedding ring. It's a plain sterling silver band and it's going on my finger as soon as whatever man actually asks me out puts one on their hand. Unconventional, I know, but wholly practical. Why should a man spend a month's salary on some stupid colorless diamond to put on my hand? No, thanks. We don't even need paperwork or a ceremony. Just cheap-ass rings that tell the world taken. Ah. But to look at me is to see wedding bells with an improbably stupid-looking gown that gets worn once and costs a year's salary, a rock the size of Jordan on my ring finger, and of course, all kinds of magnificent fresh flowers, murdered just for my vanity, so I can have guests that speak about my wedding for years to come. As if anyone speaks of any wedding for more than two days. Outside of planning it, and, by the time the two love birds tie the knot, they are exhausted regarding decision-making. Cooped. Tired. What the fuck kind of way is that to start a union of two souls? It's lame and it's totally unnecessary. No, thanks, no expensively frivolous extravagance for me. Weddings are atrociously boring to my autistic brain no matter how fucking beautiful they are. You know what happens at the end, there is no mystery. There are zero surprises. Nobody ever stands up to speak against the union, now that would be a wedding to remember. The bride and groom always kiss, Somewhere between dispassionate and the clothes are coming off right now, which they can do in private, time. Then you take an intimate piece of clothing off the bride and throw it at a bunch of men. What are you doing, trying to invite a menage à toi? You're absolutely telling everyone in the room you're fornicating that evening and it's part of the tradition. Nobody is smiling much, not even the bride, most of the time. It's too stressful. They plaster on that smile at the end of a heinously awful week and a half of massive preparation just to show off for one day to all their acquaintances and spend a fortune to feed them. This is stupidity, if you ask us. Here's what I think a wedding should be like. Each guest brings something. A decoration, a gift, a pot of food like chili, whatever. It's a potluck. All the people involved are part of the magic making. This is what happens in India, my friends. And while you are busy snogging your spouse at the altar, people should be eating food at tables. You should toast to dessert after you've eaten enough to regain your energy after all that running around like a chicken with your head cut off. In fact, in India, they don't kiss in public at all. We could leave that out. The bride? Her wedding sari is just a beautiful sari. She wears it again and again. It's the adornments that go with the sari that declare it's her wedding day. Many Indians pierce their ears as part of the ceremony. A lasting thing that they wear for the rest of their lives. Proudly. What is the purpose of a wedding? It's to tell everyone the deed is done, right? We have social media. Stop murdering thousands of blooming flowers. Those are now for the bees. Period. We're stealing bee food to make things magical. Instead of reusing fake flowers from one wedding to the next, you have to put your own magic flair into it, don't you Godzilla? My daughter deserves the wedding I want. Thanks, Narkomami. Goth Sansara? She doesn't get seen as wedding material at all. She's just a fun biker chick who will rip your heart out and eat it for breakfast, using you to lose you. She's mean and you can tell because she's got spikes. Nobody with spikes has a wedding. Nobody. Oh, wait, that's a falsehood. I was married once, albeit not in spikes, but the problem still stands— the leather and spike loving girl is expected to be harsh and sharp and know exactly what she wants, and it'll never be you. She will use a whip to tan your hide if you get out of line. She'll kick your ass if you say the wrong thing to her, just you watch. You can hit on her, and it's all meaningless because she'll never look your way. Sansa wonders what would happen if Barbie was secretly a super spy or dominatrix. Why weren't there any super spy or dominatrix Barbies when I was a kid? Huh? Come on, tell. Let's get with the program. And have a special James Bond doll as her companion, will ya? I remember having a Barbie martini glass as a kid, I know things. And Midge and friends. They should totally be more badass than Barbie since you made Barbie the prettiest one of all. So skimp on the accessories for the beautiful woman and give them all to the average chicks that hang with her. As we all know, beautiful people aren't put through the same kind of hell as the rest of us. They have more time to work on their flaws, traits, and skills because they're lonely, am I right? Well, friends and foes, super spy dominatrix Barbie is lonely. That's us, I've been lonely all my life. When I'm not lonely because I'm alone, I'm lonely because I'm neglected by some asshole who thinks they can just put a coin in to take a ride. Oh, she don't need no love, folks, not even if her face melts your damn heart when she smile at you. Keep on abusing her, she's made for it. I'm waiting for a brave man to approach me someday. There aren't any. They're too wrapped up in who they think I am to find out the reality of who I am. I bet there are dozens of amazingly beautiful women out there who are being overlooked because y'all decided she's a nightmare dressed like a daydream. Thanks, Taylor, you are my spirit animal. Rar. have you ever really listened to her lyrics, boys? Boys only want love when it's torture. Don't say I didn't, say I didn't warn ya. Blank space. In fact, I bet they all imagine me singing this song. I feel compelled to sing along with it. However, I've never dated a player on purpose. The average lifespan of a relationship with me is approximately five years. You'd think somewhere in there, someone would have gotten a clue that he should marry the girl. Nope. Instead, they push me away, like some immature brat trying to hold me at arm's length to control how I feel because they don't love themselves and cannot accept that I love them. The only way I'll ever have a happily ever after full of harmony, smiling, dancing, cooking, and singing is if I find a man who already loves himself and is single. Except it's ever more difficult for me to figure out if men are single because they don't have to wear a ring when they're in a relationship. If they did, then I could navigate with a clean and clear conscience, flirting only with men who do not show off that they're trying to partner with someone already. I will never, ever wish to come between a man and woman trying their hand at love ever again. I did that one time. I have come to terms with what happened and the part I played in it, but I will never do it again. I learned my lesson, you can't make someone else choose what you want, even if they want it, too. There is a man out there already on the love frequency who thinks about me. But I only ever saw him one time. He thinks about me occasionally, wanting to talk to me for hours and dance. He is by far the gentlest man in the back of my head. The rest daydream fornication— turning me into an anime girl half the time to fuck with wild abandon. No foreplay, just wham, bam, thank you ma'am. She looks disgusted. What about the rest of her? She's a human being, ffs. God told me I am his little angel and yet this is what I have to see in my head day in and day out, being raped by jerks. He told me that I deserve dancing and singing and hugs and kisses and I get none of those from these assholes. It took a middle-class man to see hearts in the air around me. Someone who has everything he really needs, some stuff he really wants, and then realized that if he wants more junk he's going to crowd himself out of his own apartment, leaving zero capacity for a woman to fit into his life. Someone who now focuses on eating well and his mental health goals because he literally cannot buy another comic book, movie, video game, whatever it is he does in his free time, because there will be no room left for a woman. In fact, He worries he doesn't have room for a woman now, especially the beautiful woman he saw at the grocery store while he was showing minimum wage chumps how to cook. She could be anybody, but there was one thing he knew for certain, she was interested in him. He caught her eye from across the room, probably 70 feet away. He'd been smiling because he loves life and his work. And that Barbie smiled back at him. A genuine smile that made her face brighten up and everything. And he could tell from 70 feet away. And now he cannot get her out of his head. He daydreams of returning there to try to catch glimpse of her again, but what are the odds? Well, with God on team true love, they're one hundred per cent in his favor. How could he know though he can't unless he can talk to God, the person who pointed out the dainty doll-like blonde woman to him from the beginning, the raison d'etre the catalyst that created this circumstance, which ironically could have been avoided if gray eyes had tried just a little harder to be a good man. To call Sansara a doll, as in a piece of porcelain with a wig attached and creepy lifelike eyes, made up to look exquisite for eternity and wearing some sort of gown to make her alluring to boot, would be stupid. Actually, it's beyond stupid, but that's what people are thinking about her. She's all ego and no superego, no substance, no depth, no philosophy, no skills. She's a waste of space because the only job she could have, in their eyes, is sex work or modeling. If she wore makeup, the number of them that are attracted to her would increase, and that's what would happen, she'd end up doing something that objectified her for the rest of her life because of the collective consciousness dictating that is what she should do. Thousands of men thinking it all together would sway her in ways she could not control because she trusts her intuition, which is influenced by the brains of all the people around her. Forget that she's a very accomplished and brilliant astrophysicist. Forget that she's a computer programmer. Forget that she's an inventive foodie and chef, Challenging food norms as she fights for her life. Forget that she's cleanly and enjoys cleaning her home. Forget that she's an excellent hostess, thinking of every little detail to accommodate all her guests vegetarian, vegan, and the like. Forget that she's thoughtful and shows people love through food and emotional or mental support, giving them unofficial therapy day in and day out as if it wasn't worth a dime. Forget that she has a heart and is a romantic at her core. Forget that she is a human being altogether because you reduced her to a fucking doll. A doll with a stupid name, no less, that you speak with scathing tones. A doll that represents everything everyone declared you cannot have, or was it just yourself, after all? Mr. Swarthy is no Ken doll. So how is it he can get the girl? He's a big man, if you know what I mean. He loves his food and will never give it up for some stupid diet his prospective mate might be on to look great. He'd rather feed her, actually, and let the, blue corn, chips fall where they may. In her mouth, please, he daydreams of making her something tasty, if low-calorie, to put a smile on her face. He daydreams of taking her to the movies and holding her hand. He daydreams of sneaking kisses during exceptionally boring parts of the film, if any. Holding her close to him, perhaps when scared or unsure, but really any time. He daydreams of seeking her hand in marriage, actually. He thinks of everything but the bedroom, typically, because he knows that is just a small part of life overall. Only fornicators focus on bed play. Mr. Swarthy has never spoken to her. He's never heard her voice. He's never seen her closer than 30 feet away. He's never heard her laugh. He's never heard her cry. He knows nothing about her other than one thing, her smile reaches her eyes and he can tell from across the fucking room, bro. This man saw her once. 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 A deli full of men stared at her day in and day out as she seeks ripe avocados, shyly flirting with them by putting herself in their path. They've talked themselves out of even trying to woo her because she's gotta be vain, bappet, shallow. She's gotta be a Taylor Swift, who comes across wrong to non fans, sadly. Taylor's heart's been broken, you see, and men only hear their side of it in her lyrics. Women know, though, and the occasional man in touch with his divine feminine side, gay or not, Thirty different men made judgment on her from behind that deli counter, calling her evil in the backs of their minds. Projecting their own lack of self love onto her, damaging her fragile heart again and again as she hoped their looks had more meaning than a passing glance. More meaning than an excuse to generate hatred that emanated at the mere image of her in their minds until it reached her soul, trying to turn it as black as their own. Men of earth, or really anywhere, I have news for you. The only person that needs to love you is yourself. Once you love yourself, which should be logical because that's the only person you're guaranteed to spend your entire lives with, the rest falls into place effortlessly. You can ask any girl on earth out on a date and, if you are enough of a gentleman, get a very polite decline from any woman if it'll ever be a decline at all. It will always be no if you never ask, however. It can only be yes if you climb the mountain and face the fire-breathing dragon and ask it out for a date. I'm disappointed in Sir Grey Eyes Daily Man truth be told. Me, God. Crystal is sad about it, but I wouldn't label her emotions for her. She uses about seven words to characterize how she feels, angry, sad, upset, blanket term for bad when she knows not why, content, satisfied, serene, and annoyed. She doesn't need more words because she simply feels her feelings and lets them go to return to rational thought processes, being a scientist at heart. She wants to observe reality and respond to the real world. She refuses to fantasize about gray eyes because she might fall in love with her imagination instead of the real man and then she might hold it against him somehow even though she never intended it. Therefore, she has only heard his fantasies, when I let them through to her. Reality is this, to her, the most handsome beast of a man she's ever seen was in her Wegmans' deli a month or two ago. She got truly excited about him being a new hire or something, and then he disappeared forevermore. She's sad because she believes she will never see him again. She nicknamed him Mr. Swarthy because she'd already reused Sir Delhi Man thrice at this point and she's over the nickname. It's not cursed, it's just that she doesn't want to use it anymore. Especially not if these chumps are going to continue projecting how mean they are onto her while masturbating to her image, he's big and beautiful and has the most endearing smile, she decided, and that is why she couldn't help but smile back at him which touched his heart because she's the angel of love, and a Reiki master thrice over, one who never stops healing. We wonder how Wegmans will do after we leave, no longer healing everyone in the store merely by being present? Something tells me if we see a man who only shows up once, wearing a chef uniform and standing in the deli like he owns it, that he's there to make some improvements of some sort. If only he could ask this maiden out on a date and have a discussion about her issues and perceptions of the store he could make some subtle changes that save the store from going under. If only. Instead, all he can do is try to teach a bunch of creepers to cook. Which means that, perhaps, he will be going to the other Wegmans in the area. A Wegmans with a smaller deli that's doing far better than the main store at the center of commerce in the town. A Wegmans that might be able to give him clues as to what's tanking in the main deli. Or maybe he'll just be at the central Wegmans, tapping his head picking his brain, and spinning his wheels. Love is on his brain, though. He's not really thinking about fixing Wegmans anymore. He wants to. But Giselle. That's what he calls the woman who touched his heart accidentally that day. He knows it's unlikely to be her name, of course, but she needs a name nonetheless. The moment he was told he was going to be going back to do more analysis and teaching was the moment he decided to ask the Universe TM for assistance finding the girl TM. I would do anything to be able to ask her out on a date, oh lord. I'm a sucker for romance, what can I say? The hearts floating around her head in his imagination tell me that this young man is ready to take the leap with both eyes closed and jump in fee first. Ironically, he's going to end up inviting her into his econolodge room, disdaining eating out because he's particular about his food intake, which is perfect for her because she's allergic to just about everything. He knows exactly what he wants to eat every single time he's out of town, a steak, medium rare, with his favorite vegetables cooked to perfection. He'll have a single glass of red wine and say, this is perfection. I am happy. It was a job well done. This is what he does every time he leaves home for one of these consulting jobs for the corporate headquarters. It's not the first time and it won't be the last, either. He formally stressed himself out about asking her to dine with him only because he knows how sleazy it is to invite a woman into your travel accommodations when out of town. He resolves that, if she even says yes, he will not take her to bed, no matter what happens, until they are fully familiar with each other. He knows that jumping into bed will ruin the budding romantic notions between them and he wants her to be in love with him and he in love with her. It's the only way it'll last, or so he thinks. His longest, best relationship started off with a 6 month delay taking it between the covers and he wanted her hand in marriage no matter what she was the most beautiful soul he'd ever seen he would prove it by being there without any pressure to make it about anything other than becoming intimate friends in mental body long before becoming physically intimate she could wait she'd already been waiting for 2.5 years as it was she'd been undergoing intense psychotherapy for being systematically raped for years by an asshole in St Louis for being ignored by everyone in her life while she was dying, for being treated like a bimbo while she held a job using skills that ordinary folk do not simply acquire, let alone through osmosis. She'd been undergoing intense physical therapy, as well. She couldn't even have sex yet, anyway, without it being painful. That's one way she was raped so many times, you see. It always resulted in intense pain, which she ignored thanks to minor paralysis of her extremities as a result of two subluxated vertebrae and being put on her back too often to exacerbate that issue. She could wait because she was a fan of delayed gratification. As in, the opposite of instant gratification. Every relationship she had began with long-distance parley, forcing the two lovebirds to hold many conversations before they even met in the flesh. She set a foundation of making the man her friend, her best friend, before taking him to bed talking to him about everything on her mind just about, especially emotional content, looking for reassurance and cuddles. This fosters intimacy you do not get otherwise, children of fucking earth. Mr. Swarthy's resolve to keep from the bedroom for a while works directly in her favor, as it turns out. It's serendipity. I fucking hate you monkeys, making everything in life all about fucking and being pretty enough to keep you fucking. First, you made it a stigma that women had children out of wedlock so you could disdain them forever. But then you realized, you misogynistic monsters, that if you just lifted that stigma, you could fuck without getting tied down to each other, leaving when something prettier came along. You could make the women of earth feel unattractive without caking on layers of paint to their faces and their nails and shearing off every hair on their bodies. Your love is only skin deep and you've made your entire existence about that fact, never looking deep inside yourselves and blaming yourselves for lack of true love. Where are all the Wesleys? Crystal still wanted gray eyes when she first saw Swarthy. She was confused briefly by what she felt when she looked at the enormous man and took some space to decide, ultimately, that the man thinking about her 24-7 was better because he'd already established loyalty by keeping her on his mind for months. However, she learned in the last 24 hours that he only daydreamed about Gough Crystal, A small fraction of herself that would be difficult to sustain in a weakened state, aka sick as fuck, like right now, now, she's in mourning because the asshole only gives a shit about the girl with the choker, which broke the same day he complimented it, and he's never going to see it again because it no longer exists. She modified it and wore it again, and he cannot even tell because now? Now she's blonde. She's a Barbie with nothing upstairs to write home about. She's no longer obtainable, no longer predictable. She is a void and he is projecting his flaws and his fears. Sir Grey Eyes Deli Man, you're fired. Literally, Wegmans is firing you. Today. They're bringing Mr. Swarthy back to figure out what you fucked up. It's not even your fault, actually. But now you will never step foot in that store again because you're going to be mad at them and she will instead see this amazing hunk of a man who daydreams about actual love rather than using and abusing one small section of her heart based on some costume she put on one day because I told her to in order to solicit the fucking compliment that tumbled out of your mouth and make her take note of you. Her primary love language is words of affirmation. You had it in the bag if you only tried. Take the quiz here, ladies and gents. I predict the ending to this story being as follows. One day, Gray Eyes reads this and cries. He could have had the girl of his dreams and he threw her away because her hair isn't the right color. She literally has not gained or lost more than 10 pounds the whole time, wavering between 190 and 200 pounds. I've kept her here to prove to her that a real man is going to sweep her off her feet, metaphorically, no matter what effort she puts into her appearance or what she weighs. Thanks for being an ugly asshole and reconfirming her suspicions that being fat is the reason you walk away. It's always the reason. It's the only reason. Instead of taking gray eyes, emotional, physical, and verbal abuse, my little angel will be married to another angel. She will have eyes only for him because she'll be in love and have no desire to speak to anyone other than him ever again. He's like Mr. Impossibly Delicious looking and loving at the same time. And cheerful, jovial, lighthearted. Wonderful, in one single word, if we must. And we must, we could go on all day. You, gray eyes? She chose you over him for a time. She liked your persistence. Until she found out why you were so persistent. I withheld information from her until the very end of that six months so that she could grow to love you. And she did. She enjoyed the real you. Not the you that sees Barbie the bimbo but instead the one who sees Gretchen the goth. Not the man who pretends she's a goth anime girl crying out, notice me, senpai. Over and over again as he fucks her from behind, skinny as all get out even though she's not thin at this time. She will be, but she's not yet. For four weeks, her suicidal thoughts diminished to nothingness because she thought you wanted her. This asshole daydreams of her blonde tits and ass on the brunette skinny bitch he thought he gave the compliment to. She is literally the same person. The same weight and everything. The same clothes, even, she just doesn't wear her choker much because I asked her not to. I asked her to stay to her bare minimum self so that maybe someone would love her for her foundation, not the layers she could cake on to be even more pleasing to the male fornicating eye. Trust me, if she put on makeup and a low-cut top, she'd be catcalled everywhere she goes. Every brother in the hood would stop and ask her for her number and I'd just give it to the nicest one who will treat her well. And, he wouldn't give a shit that she wore sweats all the time hiding her delectable body from everyone but him. She actually has a complex over her obesity, thinking it's the only reason nobody has bothered to ever love truly her. She understands none of these jokers love themselves and that's part of the battle, but she's still convinced she could improve herself further, and it would better her chances at something that lasts forever. That's why I keep her fat, so when Mr. Swarthy proposes to her, she knows it's for her. Not how she looks like a supermodel in every country, rather than the her of now who would be a supermodel in India, Pakistan, Nepal and other countries where they don't believe in starvation if it fits a mold, she absolutely will fit the mold, too. And she will never step foot in public again, either. It will result in fornicators raping her endlessly in her head and I'm not having it, you senseless little fuckheads. Instead, I'm going to murder most of you and keep her in sweats. Gray Eyes she would have been your super babe forever and a day, beyond loyal and clinging to you when feeling unsteady in her conviction, begging you to help her fortify her devotion to you. She did it once to your brain and you called her clingy, you monster. You told her that she couldn't have that reassurance, so she disengaged. You pushed her away. You keep pushing her away, too. Now we will push you away. Mr. Swarthy is going to hold her and tell her everything's alright, kissing her hair and her face and never letting go until she's ready. You could have done that, but you didn't. Instead, you tried to shame her for her feminine behavior that screamed, I love you. That's what that action is, you doofus. Women who cling need to be held and loved on, not thrown to the ground and broken again and again for daring to care about you assholes. If you just thought of my angel the same way when she was blonde instead of a brunette, you'd be together you'd have been together for months now. It's really that simple. She's 10 times more beautiful the way she is now, which is the easiest state for her to maintain, honestly, and still have the visual psychological response she needs to desire to continue to live when she looks in the mirror. She actually prefers her hair color to be purple, pink, blue, green, or absolutely any color you might find on a peacock or toucan. She does not look at her perfect teeth, her big beautiful eyes, her dainty nose and chin, and say, I want to fuck the woman in the mirror like the women who broke your heart playing the rape culture game with you in your past. She looks in the mirror and checks her teeth and says, those are white enough, I don't need to brush them. Or, I should brush those, she declined whitening her teeth professionally all along, even though she could have. She puts her fingers through her hair whenever it's sticking up on end, trying to tame it, and says, good enough. Or jumps into the shower because it will not listen and then combs it with her fingers afterward, she looks at her skin to see if her eczema is acting up, putting lotion on if it is indeed acting up so she doesn't get dry and scaly, skin flaking off, leaving a painful red rash behind that smarts all day and then tells herself she'd better eat healthier going forward, even though I full well know what I fed her to get her skin to do that and can stop at any time. Gray eyes, life is going to go downhill very quickly from this very moment. She's going to stop healing you, she's going to stop believing in you, and she's absolutely done waiting for you. Unbeknownst to you, that is the entire reason you're still doing so great at work, fucking around in all your free time feeding yourself easy carbs instead of real foods so you can play more video games. It's coming to an end. In fact, the end is here. And that end is pushing you out and bringing Mr. Swarty back to her. He'll be in town for weeks, working damn near every day, too. You had six months and in all this time you've decided to throw the real girl away because she didn't have a spiked choker and black hair, which didn't look nearly as good on her as the blonde do and you know it, so what if I ditched her pleather jacket and put her in something more comfortable? She's sick. Why does she need a fucking costume for you to care that she exists? You full well know she enters that fucking store daily, which means you know you were looking for the wrong person all this time. A person who does not exist. She never did and she never will. We are never going black again. It hurts her mind. It hurts her soul. She's happy to wear all black every day, but her hair cannot be black. Any color but black or brown, as it turns out. And that's the only color you care for, apparently. This tells both the of us that you've never truly loved yourself once in your life. How can you love another person when you don't love yourself? The short answer is that you cannot. You will only give them the imperfect kind of conditional love you give to yourself, justifying all the bad things you do as if they cannot be undone. Sneering at your flaws whenever they show instead of actually fixing them. You are a train wreck and it's only going to get worse now. I tried to give you a chance, but I was right the first time when I called you rat face. You're a rat. I'm going to give my little angel exactly what she deserves now that her heart has been broken again and again by assholes like yourself. It's because I love Crystal no matter what colors she paints herself on a daily basis. She's a wonderful earthling that tries her best to improve all life around her, great or small, capable or not. She tries to dodge ants in her sink when she's doing the dishes. She stops to pet dogs on a walk if they're friendly, she feeds the birds, she talks to squirrels and chipmunks, she tells little furry things get out of the road, my little baby. Save yourself. As she pumps the brakes, pissing off endless strangers behind her because she drives like grandma to save the fur babies. She takes it exceptionally personally to try to improve that which serves her, and everyone else, like a grocery store, by putting her efforts in without the expectation of recompense. She has nailed altruism. The rest of you could take heed, but you won't. How could there be an altruistic Barbie? She was never anything like a Barbie. As a child, she cut their hair off and used markers to give them gem and the hologram slash misfits makeup. It pissed her mother off that she modified these super expensive dolls simply because they all look the same as each other. She has been Reiki healing that specific Wegmans for over a year now and you. She was healing you because she thought you loved her. She thought you were thinking about her all the time because you were smitten and wanted to get to know her. The her of today, not a snapshot in her history. You're just like her chief rapist from the past. Way to go, Ben. Now you are going to know hell because the healing will stop. The brunette will fade while you wallow in your misery and all you will remember is the blonde that eyeballed you consistently day in and day out, making your heart leap into your throat when you came within inches of her as she stared at Marcona almonds, food she was never going to even try to eat because she suspected it's contaminated with dairy. And she's right, too, she was standing there to provide you a chance to effortlessly ask her for her number without anyone ever knowing. It would be the first time in her entire existence a nice guy asked her for her digits. You're probably going to die, deli man. You've been eating oatmeal and nothing else for months. You've been feeding mold inside your guts for months. Crystal can heal you, but now it's going to hurt. You're going to have to deprive yourself of everything you love, possibly forever. While she heals you, you will fall in love with her and you will never get her affection back because of how you already treated her in your head to date, A eh? goth? Dull for you to fuck when you're horny, which is always because you're a fornicator without a heart, and not a real person. You project that onto her because it's staring at you when you look at her face. You blame her for your own flaws. You heave hatred onto her because you hate yourself. She does not deserve that. Now, we are going to put Mr. Swarthy back in her vicinity. He's coming to town, actually, because they decided to fire you. It took them a long time to decide it, but they decided it days ago. There is a definite struggle going on and you're not helping solve it, so you're no longer a stellar employee worthy of praise. You're not as attentive as you used to be because you're getting sicker on your cheap and lazy oatmeal diet. Your propensity for fucking around is to your detriment. You could have turned it around with a little critical thinking, of course, but you'd rather be high as a kite and relax all the time you're not at work. All play and no work makes Jack a stupid boy. An insecure boy. A boy who could resolve his internal struggle and come to love himself with a little work. But, most importantly, just a boy. Not a man. Crystal had hoped you were repairing yourself, on a journey of recovery from heartbreak. She thought of you as dead-eyed Joe for a while. You didn't look like you had the will to live. However, over time, you became lighter and lighter. She thinks that is 100% her doing now and you never cared about yourself from the starting line, let alone her. She'd seen you smile and even returned it without meaning to one day. She kept hoping you'd smile at her to flirt with her eventually. You reject her again and again and again, staring her down as if she's nothing special while you secretly fantasize about sucking on a teat and making love to her. Even though you tell yourself she's unobtainable, unlike goofy-looking Gretchen the goth, who is totally in your ballpark and you know just what to expect with a collar like that. Plus you are better looking than Gretchen which improves your odds substantially just to date down. She'd be a sex slave you can boss around to do whatever you want in bed. Or is she a top who will boss you around to get whatever she wants in bed? She's neither, by the way, but you fool yourself into believing that your slightly above average penis size will slay whatever monsters lie inside long enough for you to get a fix and then be thrown away. You're a user, in a word, which is why you think women will use you. A player who doesn't want to build a life together. A boy who just wants to bury his dick balls deep in? Well, any woman would do, nest pas? She declines. Mr. Swarthy will recognize her because he is soul sight, just like she does, he just doesn't know it. He will continuously believe he might have seen her pass by until he actually sees her, which she understands because there was a Delhi hottie she had the same experience with over a year ago. Mr. Swarthy will lock onto her soul like a homing missile, leave his post and ask the woman if she'll have dinner with him that evening. He can't get her out of his head and nobody else is in his head, so he's counting his lucky stars now that he's been told to go save that Wegmans at any cost. It's too sweet of a location to let it go out of business, and there must be a reason sales have dropped so substantially. We will not accept a recession as the answer. This man loves himself and he projects that love onto her and she can hear it loud and clear. He loves himself because he found the things he didn't like inside his soul and worked on them, one baby step at a time, until he was happy with the result. He is humble enough to take suggestions to heart instead of automatically dismissing them, too, which means if she ever asks him to work on something, he will do it unless it's an unreasonable request that doesn't fit into his idea of his ideal self. He has spent over a decade cultivating himself into a lovely young gentleman, married to his work until he decided he wanted to be married to Giselle. That's what he calls Crystal in his head. Not because he expects that to be her name, but because he is humanizing her in his brain. She calls him Mr. Swarthy because he is a larger than life sort of man and Mr. conveys respect. I suspect he was the worthiest of all of the titles, Sir Delhi Man, to be honest, but she won't be using it again. It's probably his if he wants it, but to her it feels used and tattered, so she won't offend him, or herself, by continuing to tarnish it on fornicators. He will make her happy. Calling her dainty instead of beautiful, he will make her happy, twirling her around the kitchen while they cook together, doing the dishes together, being a partnership together, they will make decisions together, they will be in us instead of Amy at insert name. He will smile at her, he will hold her, he will put her on his knee, and simply be happy she's that close. He doesn't need to daydream about sex because sex is only one-twentieth of the human life. One-third is sleeping. One third is working, and one third is chores plus significant other. That is his equation to life. Obtain the means to eat and sleep soundly, rinse and repeat until it's on autopilot. Examine and identify all his core values so he can live a life that honors them, creating lasting peace inside his heart. Then, once all that is handled with finesse, add in a lovely woman and find out who she is. Build a lifetime of experiences with her, if she's willing to do so, sharing his heart home, and food with her. She could be anyone while he's not home, as long as she's a devoted and loyal anyone. She could be a homebody that does all the chores, if she wants. She could work, too, and they could split the chores 50-50. Anyone. If her work schedule conflicted, it might be harder to spend time together, but somehow they would make it work. Anyone. This is fortunate for her, because she's sick right now and she is no one, if you ask her. She is a husk of a woman hollowed out and discarded by all the rapists in the world, now including her beloved gray-eyed deli man. Goodbye, cruel world. Two human beings can intertwine and grow together as a couple by loving themselves, loving each other, being flexible and responsible for both parties all the time, taking truth and reality rather than lies and fantasy, and focusing on the people part of the equation rather than satiating their own loins. You've been raped, boy, it's why you can't stop thinking about it. It's not even that he doesn't have a libido or intense desire for her, because he does, he simply knows that if he puts emphasis on the bedroom rather than her heart and her head, it will fall apart. Nobody can have porn star sex every time, nor should they try. Why? Because it's rape. You are ogling rape and getting off on it. You are perpetuating it by lusting after an obtainable rather than putting your anxiety aside to ask out the most beautiful girl you've ever seen. Ironically, they are the same person with a different facade. It's a joke, but I'm not laughing and neither are you. Because you only ever fornicated with the goth sliver she showed you, she is now aware that you have exceptionally conditional love to give. She will never be enough, no matter what she does or who she becomes once she's well again, unless she puts that costume on for you. Only then will she be marginally enough because you will push her away again when she takes it off, convinced you do not deserve to be loved by a beautiful woman who needs not one feminine while to be called super fox. She didn't do anything to try to woo you. I did, but she did not. Mr. Swarthy and Giselle will become a couple that will last by deciding to co-create their existence together and make it the happiest they can despite endless challenges to their relationship and life together. Life is shit no matter what you do, the world is ending one minute at a time, thanks to pesticides killing all the pollinators and the fact that food is becoming poison thanks to plastic and the ever-present hatred from an overpopulation of the human species. In 20 years or less, you will all regret being alive, no matter who you are, if I don't get this show on the road. No more dilly-dallying, I suppose, we are in the 11th hour. These are certainly dire straits, wouldn't you know? The vessel could tip over at any time, capsizing, and the whole world would drown. Except for the fish. You ever wonder about how broken boats might hit dolphins, whales, and sharks as they sink? Or worse yet, little fishies that can't take the blow? And when they get to the bottom of the ocean, what about the sea creatures there? What about the graveyards of broken wood and metal that are now covered in sea life because it's all littered and full of junk human beings thought were great before they sunk these ships in times of war and peril? In the name of wealth and piracy? Humans are only good for one thing and one thing only, littering. You've destroyed my fucking planet in the name of comfort and ease, killing each other, and killing everything else you don't approve of. Now I'm going to kill most of you. I guess I had better get these two love birds together so we can save the world now. Giselle and Beast, you have both met your maker and you have my blessing to marry. May your hearts be forever intertwined and full of love, love, love. Two angels, one bed you do the math. You can't say we didn't give the underdog more than a snowball's chance in hell. God!